So we are going to be uh, taking, again, a closer look at this passage from Ephesians 6. It's actually the passage we read together as we opened our service. Uh, Looking at another piece of the armor of God, seeing how this equips us uh, in this battle that we're in against the spiritual forces of darkness in our world. But I think it's only right that before we dive into our message, we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive it. And so I would ask that you please bow your heads and pray with me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have indeed gathered us together as your people. That in this place, at this time, your desire is to equip us, not with our strength, but with your strength, with your armor. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So each week as we move through this uh, series, we're going to be looking at a different piece of the armor of God because it's as we look at these pieces of armor that we actually learn how to fight, how to fight in this battle against the spiritual forces of darkness. And each week we're kind of looking at a different piece of the armor, and this week we're looking at sandals. This is what Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15 says. It says that we are to be equipped with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, I will be honest, uh, this is the one part of the armor of God that truly baffled me. That as we were coming into this series, like, what are we going to do on the week where we talk about feet? Because there are lots of parts of Roman armor that are really impressive. Uh, and we're going to actually going to see some of those pieces of armor as we go further in this series. We know that Roman soldiers were, were outfitted with some of the best of military technology in their day. They had helmets and, and segmented armor. They had shields and swords and spears. They, they had all this great equipment, but, but we also know that they fought in sandals. And, I, and whenever I think about sandals, I, I think about, you know, these guys, right? You know, like these nice, they, they look nice, made of leather and stuff like that. But honestly, like fighting in sandals, how did Maximus fight in flip-flops? And I don't, I, it just doesn't seem like a very formidable or important piece of armor. And yet Paul talks about it and says, no, this is essential. This is vital. Understanding, having your feet that are ready. The readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So, so what is he talking about? Well, I think what he's talking about is the importance that footwear actually does play. I remember when this really was driven home for me. It's when I joined the cross-country team in high school. And, uh, you know, I'd never been on a cross-country team before. This was, this was new to me. And uh, we started the season with a couple practices leading up to our first race. And it's as we approached our first race that my coach then came and he said, all right, freshmen, do you guys have cross-country shoes? And I'm like, yes, I have cross-country shoes. I've got these shoes. I've been wearing these shoes for practice. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about running shoes. I'm talking about cross-country shoes. Because see, what I didn't know is that there are actually special shoes for running cross-country competitively. And, And what's fascinating about these shoes is, number one, they're insanely light. I've never held a shoe that was quite this lightweight before. But the other thing that was wild about them is on the bottoms of them, they had these little areas where you could screw in metal spikes, metal cleats. And there were different lengths of the spikes and cleats. And most of the time, we we would have just these little metal studs. They weren't even like a spike. They were just these little metal studs that we could screw in with like basically an Allen wrench. And that's what we would use when we were running on harder surfaces or running on tracks. But they did have the option of then of, of, of screwing in these long spikes. I wondered, why, why do we have these? 
until I got to about our third race of the season. And on that day, it was pouring rain. And the thing you need to know about cross-country is the only time that you cancel a cross-country meet is if there's a tornado. Because otherwise, we're running. It doesn't matter if it's pouring rain. We're, we're going to be out there running. And we, we pull up to, to the race, and our coach gets off the bus, and, and he goes out with his umbrella and goes to talk to the race, race officials, makes sure everything's set up. And he gets back on the bus, and he's like, all right, boys, it's time to break out the spikes. So we all get our little wrenches, and we're taking off the metal studs, and we're putting on these, these metal spikes. And, and then we went and we ran our race. And I'll tell you something. I ran one of the best races of the season that I'd ever run before. And it wasn't because I was the stronger runner. I actually beat other runners. And, and I know that these guys had more experience, more endurance than I did. How did I, how did I do so well? It's because I had the right footwear. Footwear mattered. It allowed me to have traction on a very, very muddy course as we ran through basically the woods. And the same was true for Roman soldiers. You see, Roman sandals, the, the sandals that these soldiers wore, were one of a kind in the ancient world. First and foremost, they were woven from a single piece of leather that, that was uh, actually held together by a strap that went right up the middle on the top of the foot. And what that allowed them to do is actually to adjust the sandal so that they could actually put the sandal on over other kinds of footwear. So that if they were in colder climates, they could have boots on or animal skins, and th but they could still put their sandals on over the boots. And here's why. On the sole of the sandal were these metal studs, these metal cleats. It was unlike, shoe, uh, uh, it was unlike footwear anywhere else in the ancient world. And what that allowed the Roman soldiers to do was basically to stand and to fight in any terrain. If it was raining, if it was snowing, if there was ice, if there was mud, if there was sand, these guys could hold their ground because they had these metal studs on the bottoms of their feet. That's actually what it says in the Greek. It doesn't even talk about sandals at all. It says, have the bottoms of your feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So you all learned, I learned something. You all learned something. You learned that the Roman army invented Nike cleats. It's basically what they did. But, but this is what allowed them to stand against superior foes, because they had the right footwear. And this is important for us, because in the battle that we're fighting, the devil loves to constantly change the terrain. He's constantly changing the terrain. He's constantly switching things up on us so that we might slip, so that we might fall, so that we might fail and be defeated. He's often moving back and forth between uh, different kinds of temptation and different kinds of accusation. I actually love how Tim Keller puts this. He says, temptation essentially gets you to have too high a view of yourself so that you go and do the things you shouldn't. Accusation is the devil's way of trying to get you to have too low and self-hating a view of yourself so that you go and do things that you shouldn't. Now, both ways work. They both have the same end, our ultimate destruction. And the devil will use a whole host of different tactics different kinds of accusation, different kinds of temptation to get us to lose our footing that we might be taken down in the battle. But what Paul says is he says, and the way that you fight on constantly changing terrain is by having the gospel, the good news. Because there are so many different tactics that the devil uses. I mean, if I were honestly to try and take every single like, tactic, we could be here for hours. 
which is why I am going to recommend a book. Uh, I do recommend books from time to time. Beautiful book uh, that I think is well worth a read is called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's by the 17th century Puritan writer Thomas Brooks. And what he actually does is he goes through this, this whole book is he basically says, and here's one way that the devil often tempts us, and here's another way that he often tempts us, and this is another way he accuses us, and here's another way that he accuses us. Just this long catalog of different tactics the devil uses, and then he then says, and this is how we respond from God's word. Just this giant catalog of different battle tactics. So if you're looking and you want to dig deeper, great book, but, but I do want to focus on just these kind of general categories. And to see how is it that the gospel actually equips us to face temptation and accusation. Now see, the first thing that we need to recognize is that, is that temptation, as Keller says, often has us, uh, gives us a higher view of ourselves than we should. And I would say, uh, corresponding to that, it also gives us a lower view of God. A high, temptation lures us into having a higher view of ourselves and a lower view of God. And this, this plays out in a variety of different ways, a variety of ways that the devil will tempt us. One of the ways that he might tempt us is to actually try to get us to rename vices as virtues. So that we say things like, oh, I'm not a drunkard, I'm just, I'm just laid back, I'm not prude. Or say, oh, I'm not greedy, I, I'm just thrifty. I'm not lazy, I, I, just, I just have good work-life balance. Right? I'm not... I don't hate people. I'm not angry. This is, self, uh, this, is, this, is, this is righteous anger. And we disguise our biases and our prejudices and our hatreds as, as righteous anger. We turn vices into virtues to self-justify, to feel better about ourselves. We're tempted to look outwards and see other people as the problem. Those people just don't get it. Those people are against us. These people are trying to take away our rights, so on and so forth. And, and again, it's all deflecting away from ourselves so that we feel better about who we are. It's always self-justifying. And it leads to all kinds of self-righteousness and pride. It leads to all kinds of arrogance. And the question is, how does the message of Christianity undo and undercut these kinds of temptations? Well, the, the way the message of Christianity undercuts them is by first and foremost reminding us of who we actually are, forcing us to take a good, lar, uh, a good hard look in the mirror. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, everyone. He actually says there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become together, altogether worthless. He goes on and on to highlight this because what Paul is saying is here is that you need to first, before we can get to the good news, you need to recognize the truth about the bad news. And that is that every single one of us is prone to this kind of self-righteous pride. Every single one of us tries to justify ourselves, often by comparing ourselves with other people. And what Paul does here is he says, no, the only comparison that matters is comparing yourself with God because you are made in God's image. And anything less than his righteousness and less than his holiness doesn't make the cut because that's who we're called to be. It's not a low bar of what we see in our neighbors that we don't like. It's the extremely high bar of comparing ourselves to the God in heaven in whose image we are made. He says, and by that comparison, every single one of us falls short, which means that the only posture of Christians should be one of humility and compassion towards others. 
to recognize that we all fall short, that we're all in the same boat, that we have nothing in ourselves to take any pride in whatsoever, which is why I find it so strange that Christians have this, I have this perception in our world today of being people who are proud and self-righteous. And I wonder if that's because we've forgotten part of the message. Truth here, when we really look in the mirror and when we compare ourselves to God, is that none of us measures up, and so our only posture should be one of humility. But that brings us to the other part of the Christian message, the good news. Because it's the good news that then also helps us address accusations. Again, I love that Keller kind of set this up. He said, accusation is the devil's tool to get us to hate ourselves, to look down upon ourselves. And accusation often comes when we do start to get real with ourselves and who we are. We start to realize that there are things that we've hidden away, things that we're ashamed of. And so we hide them believing that if anybody knew this about us, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with us. They wouldn't love us. We'd be alone. And there are many people in this world today who I think struggle with this kind of self-hatred and this kind of self-loathing, a feeling like we never measure up, that we're not good enough, that we're not of value and worth, and it can lead to all kinds of self-destructive behavior. But here, too, the Christian message is good because it's the other side of what Paul says. For although all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's the God's answer to self-accusation, is to say, I don't accuse you. Rather, I have come to defend you, to lay down my life for you, to show you just how precious you are in my sight. In those moments when we're tempted to believe the devil's lies that were of no value, of no worth, we need only look to Jesus to see the kind of value that God holds us. Uh, with which God holds us. He loves us so much that he was willing to leave his throne in heaven, to come down here, to be born as one of us, to live in our midst, to experience all of our pains, to walk alongside us, to teach us with patience and gentleness, with humility and love, but ultimately he was willing to die for us, to rescue us from any judgment to rescue us from all condemnation. That's how precious you are to God. When the devil comes and says, who are you? You're a nobody, you're worthless. You can say, but I am of value to him. And we point to the cross. For it's on the cross that we see just how precious we are, so precious that God was willing to give up his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have the gift of eternal life. You see how the message of Christianity undercuts both temptation and accusation. Gives us an honest view of ourselves in which we realize, no, I don't have anything of value that I can bring to the feet of God. And yet, it points us to Jesus to remind us that I don't have to. For he has paid the price. He has done it all. He has run the race on my behalf. And because of him, I can stand. That's what allows us to have firm footing, no matter what the terrain. What allows us to stand firm in the battle, no matter which turf the devil decides to fight us on. 
What's also amazing about that footwear is that it then empowers us to go with that message of good news. I mean, think about it. The, the Roman, Roman soldiers' footwear wasn't just so that they could fight and stand firm in battles. It allowed them to march all over the face of the known world. And just as their footwear was able to hold up even under long marches, so the gospel of peace enables us to go forward with good news to a world that desperately needs it. Because I don't know about you, I look around at our world and I see a whole lot of people falling due to temptation and to accusation. See a world of people filled with self-righteousness. Covering up vices and calling them virtues. People who are looking for their self-worth and their dignity and things that they have only to watch them slip away. I see a world of people trapped in accusation and self-hatred and self-loathing. People who are isolated and lonely, feeling like they're not of value, not of worth. What I see is that people desperately need the good news that we can bring in how we live and how we serve and in the message that we proclaim. I think that's part of the reason why the prophet Isaiah says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, and who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Because we can come to people and we can show them that God is the one alone who can bring the kind of peace that we so desperately need. That it comes by laying down anything that we would take pride in and instead taking up the promise of new life and forgiveness and love that he gives. And, and when you know that, it allows you to walk and to run no matter what the circumstances. Love how Isaiah puts it elsewhere. That those who hope in the Lord will not grow tired or weary. They will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Our ability to stand firm comes as a gift given to us by the God who loves us. And the way in which we put that armor on is by daily singing to ourselves the truths of that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's the message of the gospel. That's the one that we cling to each and every day. We wake up each morning recognizing that we are people saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is not of our own doing, but it's a gift from the God who loves us. And so with that in mind, I'd like to pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that though we have no strength in and of ourselves, you provide us with everything that we need. You remind us in the face of temptation and of accusation of who we are and of who you are. That though we have nothing worth taking pride in, you love us anyways. That though we have nothing upon which to hang our sense of self-worth, you call us your children, you make us in your image, you came and laid down your life to redeem us. Because of that, we have hope. We have peace. We have new life and the gift of salvation. And Lord, that is a message too good to keep to ourselves. Lord, we pray that each day we would put those sandals on our feet. 
That each day we would walk in the grace that you give us and through that others might come to know of the hope that we have in you and in you alone. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.